Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, consider joining my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of your favorite sex toy shops at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. To all my friends out there in a long-distance relationship, are you feeling disconnected from your boo? Wish they could bring you pleasure in person if FaceTime sex just isn't cutting it? Well, thank goodness for Clona Willy. Clona Willy makes DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a high-quality, 100% body-safe sex toy, so you can stay connected no matter where you are. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 20% off at clonawilly.com. If you're like me, it's important to choose a toy with body-safe materials and a proven orgasmic track record. Fun Factory pioneered body-safe toys and has a serious cult following of vibrator enthusiasts. Honestly, you can't beat their medical-grade silicone toys. Not only are they long-lasting, they're also designed by German engineers for serious motor power. Ready for an ubergasm? Use discount code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your new favorite Fun Factory toy. XSENS believes that intimacy and wellness are deeply connected. Their ongoing mission is to educate and empower all people with vulvas everywhere so they may recognize and nurture that connection. Developed by people with vulvas, for people with vulvas, in the south of France, their entire line is made from 100% vegan ingredients. They never use parabens and are firm believers in not using GMOs. Check out their blog and use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 25% off at xsens-usa.com. Good afternoon, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I am stoked to have you. I've been reading your book and I'm really thrilled to talk about it. And we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and start by introducing yourself to the listeners and tell us about your work. Yeah. Uh, my name is Rachel Feltman. Uh, I am a science journalist by training. And uh, my first big gig that a lot of um, folks who know me, not that many do, but a lot of folks who know me know me from uh, a vertical I launched at the Washington Post called Speaking of Science, uh, where I shocked the front page editors by making a lot of Uranus puns and things like that. Incredible. Um, <laughs> and for the last five and a half years or so, I've been at Popular Science, uh, where currently I'm the executive editor, and uh, which means I do a little bit of everything uh, at the best magazine in the world. And no bias there. No, bias. <laughs> no none at all. <laughs> and um, I also host uh, one of our podcasts, The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. We're currently on hiatus, but it's these little biweekly um, deep dives into rabbit holes about science, health, tech, um, 
And because I love weird facts and I love using weird facts, um, not just to freak people out at parties, but also to help people learn things. That's like kind of why I became a science journalist. Uh, And that led me to write my book. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us all about it. Yeah. It's called Been There, Done That, A Rousing History of Sex. Uh, We love a pun. And uh, it comes out May 17th. Very excited. First book for me. And it's all about the history of sex. And whenever I say that, people are like, what do you mean? <laughs> like sure. the history of uh, like porn? Like, well, there is a chapter on porn in there. But I, because I am um, absolutely unhinged, decided I wanted to write a book that went from like the invention of sexual reproduction in an evolutionary sense, all the way to the way we have sex today with, you know, pit stops for everything from um, animal mating practices to like bizarre little subplots throughout the history of human uh, sexual uh, and romantic culture. And um, what's the point? The point is that everything under the sun has happened before. Yeah. (gasps) Nothing is new. Everything is weird, which means nothing is weird. And like maybe the stuff we get hung up about um, is not very important. (laughs) And we we should focus on like uh, being kind to each other, being accepting, uh, not hurting people um, emotionally or physically uh, just because we have certain expectations um, about how sex should be um, and that everything else is really just like not only is it not important, but it's like not new or shocking that like really everything has happened before. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Especially that piece of, that I read in the book. I'm in the middle of it, not finished with it yet. So no spoilers, but kind of spoilers because we <laughs> will get into some fun facts later. Uh, but I just love that piece that like, hey, you think you're weird as shit? You're not. Like someone <laughs> somewhere or some being somewhere has done what you were thinking before and probably a lot fucking weirder than you. Absolutely. Yes. Which is so comforting to be like, yeah, oh, I'm not a freak. Cool. <laughs> That's nice. We are you know? all freaks, which means none of us are freaks. Exactly. Yeah. I <laughs> I love that phrase that you said before of like, oh, well, if everything's weird, then nothing is weird or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of my life philosophy as a very weird person. (laughs) So I'm into it. um, Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, I hope that the book is like um, welcoming and intriguing to people. Um, And I really just I mean, for me, it was just fun to pick up as many weird, shocking, fascinating facts as I could from throughout history. And it really is like a uh, a smorgasbord. (laughs) There's a lot going on. Very Jewish. Um, We love it. We love it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I do think that there is like uh, that underlying point that like, look, everything has happened. Okay. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And just like as a reader of the book and as a sex educator, I love the way that you 
go through these kind of little vignettes. Like it very much matches like the TikTok era that we're in (laughs) of kind of like want to know a little bit about like homoeroticism in like Greek culture or, you know, and want to know about like duck penises. Like it's very much like one thing to the other. And yet somehow they all go together in this really, really (laughs) fascinating way. So I really appreciate it. I do think it's extremely funny. It's really, really entertaining. It's relatable. And I, again, as a sex educator, am learning so much. So I think that the lay reader or lay listener out there right now um, would really, really appreciate this book. So nice work. Oh, (laughs) really good job. That means a lot. Yeah. But we're going to get into some of those facts today in this interview. This is kind of a different interview than we've had previously, where we're going to kind of focus in on this, like, fact-based writing and kind of teach the listeners all about these strange and funny and fucking weird facts that you learned while researching this book. So I don't know if you have like a top three while you're doing research, if like what most wild, like however you want to frame them, like let's hear them. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like like picking your favorite children, Um, but (laughs) I I will do my best. Um, and yeah, just, just like one quick side note, it's funny because, um, going into this, I already knew a ton of weird random stuff about, um, sex, but also about everything. (laughs) I, um, I started my podcast, The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week, uh, literally because I was sitting in an office full of people who write about science for a living and I saw some study and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's about coffin birth. And everyone was like, coffin birth? Excuse me? In that tone as if we all know what that is. And I was just like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Maybe this pile of stuff that I think of as being things that everyone know Um Maybe it is just that my brain is really bizarre and I have collected a, an unusual number of them. Turns out that's true. I have some diagnoses to back that up now. But. What an advantage, though. <laughs> that's so fascinating. But so, um, yes, my dives into the history of sex with a lot of things, it was like uh, I t- it turned out that the way the stories people share are like not quite right, as is so often the case. Um, but then like still, I managed to be surprised. I managed to come across things that I had never heard about before. Um, so one of my favorites is, uh, the fact that ancient Egyptian women used to use a uh, crocodile dung as a contraceptive. Um, oh my, right. Say more. <laughs> yeah. So fascinating. Um, even just that without context. Um, but what's really crazy is that it, uh, probably kind of worked, um, better than stuff that's was used much more recently. <laughs> um, so when you look at the history of contraception, you see over and over again in different parts of the world, different cultures, um, all of these recipes that boil down to like shoving something kind of sticky or gummy up against your cervix and to block. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, while barrier methods aren't perfect, they are effective because you are physically creating a barrier. Um, And then in ancient Egypt in particular, so the dung, there probably wasn't anything very special about the dung, but it was a good paste-like substance. Um, They would also often use honey, which we now know has a lot of antimicrobial properties, which probably is what kept this from being like, a source of horrible infections from poop. Um, 
So that's great. Makes the whole thing feel way more feasible. Uh, and then they also would use um, ground up acacia leaves, which we now know have spermicidal properties. So like taken oh, all together, it was basically like a diaphragm with a spermicidal gel in it. Obviously, we don't know what the efficacy looked like, but it's like it makes sense. Um, and it probably worked pretty well. And then meanwhile, you have like these 20th century methods like douching that like did not work at all based on what we now know uh, because, you know, the idea would be you're like flushing out the system, getting rid of the semen, um, which, by the way, wasn't also something people tried back into antiquity. They would be like jump up and down, sneeze, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. All of that really was believed to work. We know now it doesn't work even when you're shooting something as like toxic as like Lysol. Um, oh boy. up there, which uh, was something Lysol was sneakily marketed for in what? Yeah, in the 20th century. Um, it would talk Help. about how it was great for marital hygiene, which meant, you know, like literally like cleansing the womb. Um, oh my God, feeling pain just thinking right? about yeah. it. Yeah, so that obviously was quite dangerous. But even when you had a liquid that was that toxic to sperm, you know, when uh, someone ejaculates in you and there are tons of sperm cells in that semen, a lot of them reach your cervix within seconds. So you would have to like literally, literally be like simultaneously shoving some Lysol up in there to make that work. Um, so Time I travel back a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so I hate thinking about that, first of all. Right. Um, Naturally. <laughs> but, but uh, what I love so much is this idea that, you know, what people were using in like 2000 BC um, may have been safer and more effective than Wild. what like housewives in um, like the 1950s were using. Oh, my God. That is truly wild wow really good first one <laughs> thank you yeah and I, I mean that kind of gets into um you know something that I, I really try to make clear in the book which is that we have this tendency um not just today but throughout history to think of ourselves as being like the pinnacle of humanity um and you know further for humanity to think of themselves as being like the pinnacle of evolution definitely not true um but you know, something I try to make clear is that our cultural shifts are not moving toward anything in particular. Like, it's not like we get more progressive every hundred years and there's some like peak of enlightenment that we're heading towards. Like, things change all the time and sometimes in um, ways that are actually really regressive. And it's the same with kind of our, um, our, knowledge of the human body. I mean, obviously, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to medicine, when it comes to human physiology, we just have um, an ability to visualize and comprehend the mechanisms of the human body much better than we ever did before. Um, but that doesn't mean that what people were doing in 1960 was um, any better or smarter than what people were doing like 4,000 years before. Um, 
So I like to remind people that. <laughs> that Let's take a pause there because that's <laughs> really groundbreaking to me because I do think, first of all, exactly humans do think like we are the center of the universe mm-hmm. and everything that is happening to us right now and the metaverse is the best invention of the world and we're moving towards crazy, I don't even know, like otherworldliness, right? Like, and only that could come from our technology and our smarts and Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos of the world, you know, just like that whole sickness that we have. Yeah. Um, And we do, I think, as humans try to make meaning out of these shifts and see patterns Mm -hmm. and try to understand where we're headed in order to make investments and, you know, all these things kind of require humans to have this like futuristic view Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily, we don't know where it's going. If we're talking climate change, we do know that it's going poorly and that's what we (laughs) can predict. Uh, But other than that, like, do you see where I'm, what I'm going with this? Yeah, absolutely. Like we definitely have more data than ever. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. there was a time when, I mean, I talk about the, the history of our understanding Sorry, I talk about the history of our understanding of pregnancy. And there was a time when literally the only way there was to see what pregnancy looked like was to vivisect a pregnant person, uh, which fortunately did not happen very often. Uh, But even then, you were still looking at the macro level, you know, obvious limitations there. Now we, we can see it all. And yet, the way we calculate pregnancy is still based on nothing. So I think that's Mm -hmm. one great example of how like we can um, have way better tools and still – we're still humans and humans are still incredibly emotional and um, really good at um, like basing our our best practices and our supposed logic on just like what we already believe for some reason Mm. or another. So – yeah, just just really. I also, when you look at like nothing will make you feel less like humans must be inherently superior than just like literally studying the evolutionary history of various animals, including primates, because evolution is chaotic. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's tw- it takes twists and turns just because we learned to talk and like break stuff with rocks does not mean that like everything about us is good (laughs) break stuff with rocks that's so funny um yeah dude and the fact that like humans in our homo sapien form have only been on this planet like what percent of the time that earth has been around it's like what very tiny (laughs) percent or something like that yeah I don't know. Maybe someone listening can fact check that. But um, what is your third like most wild fact that you kind of learned while while researching yeah, for also, this book? I think I just managed to not actually share a second fact. <laughs> I think the second – or I guess, it was a framework yeah. I think was the second one. But if you want to do two more facts, up to you. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I'm happy to uh, – well, my next fact relates to that uh, idea of how we're um, – We always like to think that the people who came before us were, like, sillier. Um, So chastity belts, as we know them, total myth, made up, didn't exist. Uh, The ones that used to get... Could you define that for our listeners? Yeah, so that idea that in, like, the Middle Ages, uh, medieval times, 
they would like lock up their ladies in like iron underpants so that they wouldn't, um, you know, get nasty while they were at the crusades or whatever they were Fighting doing. Wars. Yeah. Um, that just didn't happen. And uh, the evidence, quote unquote, evidence we have for it, it's all old enough to have kind of like an air of truthiness about it. There are these like um, kind of uh, sketches um, and these old objects that show up in museums. And there's one reference in the 1400s. But when you peel it apart, which I was not the first person to do, to be clear, there are whole other books about this. Um, you see that like, that book in the 1400s was like basically um, like a satirical book. <laughs> like there was a lot of random made up stuff They're in like, there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the like early drawings are all kind of like political cartoons where people are like, haha, his wife is taking off her chastity belt. Oh, oh fascinating. Um, and then those things you see in museums, they've all been debunked as like 18th and 19th century fakes because it was around that time that people were like, ha ha ha, remember in the Middle Ages when our backwards ancestors <laughs> wore chastity belts? Um, which is ironic because in the 19th and early 20th century, there were very real devices um, that doctors would even prescribe to try to keep people from masturbating because there was genuine medical and moral panic around that. So, um, which is fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's also, just <laughs> it's just so funny. They're like, we can't stop these women from masturbating, and then they like, right? They created cornflakes. Like, yeah. Okay, so that was my third fact. So, perfect. oh, perfect. Keep going. Can you told the masturbation chapter was my favorite to write. <laughs> I mean, it's my favorite. It's going to be my favorite to read. I can tell. So um, a lot of people know that like some version of the story that uh, breakfast cereals as we know them were invented to try to stop people from masturbating <laughs> during the Which, like, What's the logic behind that? Like if they'll focus on this cornflakes, then they'll like stop touching their vaginas. Like what is exactly. it? Exactly. So that was kind of the version I had always heard. Wild. Um, and that is quite oversimplified, but it, it's true that one of the two Kellogg brothers who uh, was behind the invention of cornflakes um, was a Seventh-day Adventist who also, like, had a sanitarium and, like, deeply believed What's in... What's a sanitarium? Like, do I want to know? It was, like, people would um, would pay to go there, like, health spa. And um, oh, okay. he was all about, I mean, general Seventh-day Adventist, like, cleanliness, clean living, you know, be active, take brisk walks, don't fuck. That, that was kind of their thing. Um, and But the point of the cornflakes wasn't to give people super plain food um, so they would have plain thoughts. The point was to make them less constipated because Kellogg really believed that constipation was one of the drivers of like unhinged sexual desire, which says a lot Whoa. about <laughs> how Kellogg felt when he was constipated, I guess. So in addition to the high fiber cereal, yeah, so weird, yeah. Well, and you know, like a a full bowel can press on the prostate. So, mm, okay, uh, obviously this is purely speculative. So there, I was going to say never... maybe there is some realness to that. <laughs> well, but... there is some realness to that for sure. Okay. Um, okay, I don't know if Kellogg, if that was his deal, or or right. if he just became fixated on constipation for some other reason. 
Um, but he, yeah, he really believed that part of the key to um, living better in a spiritual sense was to be regular. Um, so in addition to high fiber foods like cornflakes, uh, he also at his sanitarium, they did tons of enemas. You could get like a yogurt oh enema or a water enema. <laughs> I don't know if you got yogurt. to pick or if they picked for you. <gasps> um, <gasps> a lot of great pictures. I definitely recommend looking it up because it's because of the oh, era. Fantastic. It's nothing graphic. It's just like people in weird contraptions <laughs> that they have clearly paid a lot of money to be put in. He had these chairs that would like wiggle with the idea being that they'd like stimulate your bowels and shake the poop out of you. Um, oh. Yeah. And his brother was the one who ended up actually bringing cornflakes to market. Um, he insisted they put some sugar on them because uh, he was like, pooping so good you'll never masturbate again is not a selling point that the American people are going to get behind. And they were estranged because of that. I think they like fought Whoa. each other in court. So I would love um, to see a movie about this. <laughs> Me too. Fascinating. I think there, there was a movie about Kellogg at some point, but um, I, I've never watched it. So I, I like suspect it might be where some of the misconceptions come from. And I'm like, I need, I need one where shaking the poop out of you is the, is his goal. Right. As it was. Make that the center. <laughs> Are you falling into a pattern with your partner? Looking to spice things up but aren't sure how? Exit the ordinary with Lion's Den. Lion's Den has hundreds of your favorite brands to help you and your partner reconnect or try something new. From novices to dungeon masters, there are products for every comfort level. With 50 plus years in business, Lion's Den is here to help. Can't make it to a local store? Shop online and chat with a customer service team member while you shop. Lion's Den offers our listeners 15% off in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB. As a sex educator, I always have to remind folks that sex is so much more than penetration. There's kissing, touching, licking, sucking, and a fan favorite, nipple play. I love that XNs has products to make nipple play more fun for you and your partner. Try their nipple arousal creams in cute strawberry or cherry. Or for something stronger, try their flavored arousal gels in ginger, espresso, or raspberry mint. Remember, you only need a drop of the arousal gels to start. Get 25% off with code SEXEDWITHDB at xns-usa.com. Well, those are my three facts. <laughs> uh, amazing. Love it. Love it. I'm so into it. Um, yeah. Wow. That is so <laughs> and and I'm sure you have a lot more, right? That are in that are in this book. Yeah. The whole book is just weird facts. Um, that's my uh that's what I do. <laughs> um and yeah, I um I know we had talked about maybe doing a little bit of a, a quiz. With yes, some more we did. facts That's from the coming book. up now. <laughs> yeah, I just also am a big fan of trivia, and oh, I think too. I'm not the only. Yeah, I'm not the only one who feels like they learn best when you're like kind of quizzed and you're able to kind of replicate that and repeat it and like really like just trivia is a great way to learn new things. And so, um, let's do a bit of been there, done that trivia. I would love for you to ask me some questions. Uh, with info that folks can and will find in the book, and I can see if I can get the answers right. And yeah. if you're listening right now and want to play along, just go ahead and pause the podcast after Rachel asks the question, and you can see my answer and see if your answer was correct. So fun. I did multiple choice. That's okay. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll take it. Some of them are really weird. So I was like, you really, you really got to pull it out of nowhere without multiple choice. I'm so choice. ready. Okay. I'm so um, ready. I think I did. I have four multiple choice questions. So, okay. Fantastic. All right. If a 12th century woman wanted to divorce her husband, 
who had to watch the two of them try to have sex? <laughs> really fantastic start. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, would it be A, the bishop, B, her mother-in-law, C, a gang of old ladies from the neighborhood, or D, oh a jury of their peers? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so lots to unpack before I even answer this question. So you're telling me that in the 12th century, in the 1100s, if a woman wanted to get divorced from her husband, she would have to have an audience of one of those people or persons watching them have sex before they get divorced. Indeed. And this, I believe this was England where most of the weirdest stuff around sex happened in the Middle Ages. They were really, they didn't like it. They were, they didn't like people doing it. Um, But yes. So uh, this was because um, in addition to many ways of having sex being uh, against religious law, um, not having the right kind of marital sex was also like the church was like, don't do it. So like you weren't supposed to have any sex when you couldn't get pregnant. And luckily they didn't know much about when you could get pregnant. So they were like, mm, they, the midwives tell us that the women can listen to the crystals in their body. And sometimes when they're not going to preg- get pregnant and don't have sex then. <laughs> but, oh, um, and also like once you were old, you weren't supposed to have sex anymore. Um, you weren't supposed to do it in like weird positions or like an amount that made the church uncomfortable. They were like, do it enough to make more souls and only that much. So the flip side of that was that if you were supposedly impotent as a man, um, which, you know, could mean uh, infertile, could mean physically unable to have sex, could mean unwilling to have sex with your with your wife, um, that was grounds for divorce and pretty much the only grounds for divorce um, oh because gosh. it was like marriage exists so that we can create one scenario where it's okay for you to have sex and have babies. So if you're not making babies, um, you got to free up that womb. So <laughs> Damn, dude. Okay. So from these context clues, um, okay, by the way, the options again were bishop, mother and her mother-in-law, uh, a gang of old ladies, or a jury of their peers. Oh, God, I'm really between bishop and jury of their peers, and I'm not looking at the screen because I don't want you to give it away with your face, <laughs> but I feel like the obvious answer would be bishop, so I'm going to go with D, So it, peers. it was a gang of old ladies, in fact. What the fuck? <laughs> they would have women in the town who were co- referred to in court documents as wise old matrons. Um, Holy hell! And you would—they would spend several nights in the home of the accused to um, confirm that uh, he was unable to perform. Um, this was my book editor wow. Ben Platt's absolute favorite book because he was like, "What? Why did they think you'd be able to perform in front of a bunch of old ladies?" But I feel like maybe this that needs was to be a Lonely Island music video or right? something. This is so. Funny, I feel like maybe that premise. was like the hack that like they. They created the scenario. You wanted to show so that- off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Okay. All right. That's very surprising, <laughs> but fantastic. Let's move on to the next question. Okay, great. So female hyenas have so-called pseudopenises that long-made scholars think they could change sex at will. Which of the following does a female hyena not use her pseudopenis for? Is it A, having sex? B, 
defecating, C, urinating, D, socializing, or E, giving birth. Okay, I did read this chapter in the book, but I don't know if I know the answer. I know for sure that they do use them, unfortunately, to give yes, birth, which is, that is true. fucking terrifying yep. um, to have to give birth out of a pseudo penis, aka a tube. I have posted a TikTok about that, and um, it made a teenage boy with Christian bodybuilder in his bio like actually oh make a video about how disgusting I was. And I was like, wow, achievement oh unlocked. You really got a gold medal. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's the goal is really Christian bodybuilder, 14-year-old boys responding exactly, to your yeah. content. Um, holy shit. I would assume that they do use them for socializing. Um, I'm going to say that – oh, God. What was A again? Um, A was having sex. B was defecating. Defecating. Yeah. I don't think that they have sex with them. Is that correct? They do have sex with them. Fuck. Do they, do they not defecate they out of them? It is not. That is the only out or in that doesn't have okay. to do with the pseudopenos. But yeah, no. That, they. That's what I hoped, but I thought maybe it was a trick. No. Um, okay. Explain this a little yeah, bit more. So um, the pseudopenises, uh, they do have sex. And this is probably why the pseudopenis evolved because otherwise it's horrifying i mean not that it's horrifying to have a long appendage um that's fine no matter what your sex or gender but they do give birth through them and that's really horrifying um because it's a small tube and they give birth yes. to like it's muscular like a little stone times nine hundred thousand. Yeah. um but the reason it probably evolved uh in part is that it gives them a lot of control over sexual encounters because the way that sex works for hyenas is that they have to have like an erect pseudopenis and then the male hyena like maneuvers his penis into the pseudopenis. So it's really, it's really like complex and um, certainly difficult, perhaps impossible uh, for uh, like forced copulation to occur. Um, and we see this like in, in animals like ducks, um, where the females develop these super twisty, turny vaginas and the males develop increasingly horrifying twisted penises where it's so wild. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about like the female making it less, um, valuable for males to try to violently, um, assault them. Um, and the other thing, too, is that because they urinate out of the pseudopenis, it's thought that actually they can just, like, flush semen out by peeing. Humans can't. Don't believe anybody who tells you that'll work. They should be after Correct. sex, obviously, for other reasons. Um, UTI. Yeah, absolutely. Prevention. And uh, But in hyenas, it does work. They can just wipe the slate clean, um, <laughs> which is great for them. Pretty powerful. And they do use them for, um, they do use them for socializing as well. In fact, um, the... Usually, like, the alpha female has a particularly large pseudopenis and other females in the group will get erections that seem to be, like, signs of subservience to her or, like, deference, at least. Um, so that's cool. It's random and fun. <laughs> oh, my God. Hyenas. Who knew? <laughs> Extremely fascinating. I'm over for 2. Let's see if we can get it on this <laughs> okay. next one. 
Giles Brindley is well known for taking his pants off on stage at an academic conference in 1983. Why did he do it? (laughs) A, he had performed the first successful penis transplant on himself. B, he told his colleagues how big he was and they accused him of lying. C, he wanted to show them how hard his penis was. Or D, one too many cocktails at the reception. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> man. I'm sorry. I come. I, I don't play. You know, I come. You really <laughs> don't. This is this is really good. I haven't been I haven't been to this chapter yet. God damn it, Giles. Uh, I'm between B and C because um, this man <laughs> period. Uh, I'm going to say that he wanted to show his colleagues how hard his that is correct. Was. Fuck yes, got one. <laughs> and it was in fact because he had, um, for the first time, uh, invented a reliable method of inducing an erection. Um, you had to inject it, and he's actually fascinating. I talk, <laughs> I talk a lot about him in my chapter, not just because there's this fantastic story, but also he's just like a total like um, polyglot. He invented an instrument called the logical bassoon that's just literally like a bassoon that he thinks is more logical to play than another bassoon. He's like doing like ultra marathons now or something. I don't that's a slight exaggeration. Oh but God. he's like 90 and like swimming channels or something, you know. Seem Giles, amazing dude. Cool. Uh, I wish him well. Have never met him or spoken to him, but wherever he is, I hope he's having a great time. And <laughs> he in addition to a lot of really fascinating work um to help um paraplegic uh, veterans um, successfully have children. He uh, he really was one of the first people who was like, um, not being able to maintain erection doesn't just mean you're like a weak-willed sissy. Like there's a physical thing going on and surely we can do something about that. Um, and he got up on stage at this conference and he had slides, but he was like, I know you might think that maybe I just got like hard for some other reason for these slides, but no one would ever get an erection at on stage in front of his colleagues. This is the most embarrassing thing. So then he took off his track pants and he had an erection. Oh and apparently some what about of them his came underwear? Like, well, he had worn the track pants without underwear in the hopes that that would be enough that like if, when he turned to the oh, side, oh but then that was, <laughs> he was tell. like, oh, you can't really see it. So then he took it off. Um, oh my gosh. Gasp yeah. from the audience. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of um, there are varying accounts about how shocked the audience was. Um, but uh, I would have been shocked. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was Same. for scientific reasons. Respect. Yeah. Respect. Okay, so this is our last All right, one. Right, let's do our yeah, let's do our fourth <laughs> one. These have been great. Um, okay, so the Mochi people who lived along the coast of Peru before the Inca shocked Spanish colonizers from beyond the grave by leaving behind explicit sexual scenes, including lots of anal sex, in which medium? Was it A, pottery, B, cave paintings, C, giant lot giant line drawings best seen from way up above or d beaded tunics Ooh. 
I like the idea of them happening on beaded tunics. I'm gonna say D. I, I really wish that. Uh but it's, oh, it's pottery. It. They're um oh, they're cool. known as the mochi sex pots. They are literal pots. Oh, um, amazing. extremely pornographic, and we still um will never know exactly why they made them because the they had been their civilization had been gone for a thousand years by the time the Spanish showed up. But the Spanish did not like this. They smashy smashied a bunch of the pot. Luckily, we have since found um, many more examples. Um, And they're, I mean, they're just like fantastically like photorealistic pottery for the time period. Um, It's just that they happen to often be extremely graphic sex scenes. (laughs) So um, that was their porn. Well, we don't know. It could have been spiritual. You know, there are lots of people have like suggested possible reasons for why they would have done this other than porn. It's actually in my chapter about porn where kind of the whole point is like, it's almost impossible to know what ancient humans did with regard to porn because the definition of porn is like, um, there's a reason why, you know, when you see it, it like has stuck around because it really, um, it's not just the intent, but also like the, results so like it it has to be something that was made to titillate and that does generally titillate and so we can look at these super explicit pot sex pot scenes um but maybe they were made for a reason that had nothing to do with like getting turned on so um that's true to the spanish they were definitely porn uh to the mochi right maybe not Porn is in the eye Absolutely of the beholder, true. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. All right. One out of four. Pretty bad. <laughs> but I look forward to reading the rest of the book uh, to really uh, get my trivia chops on and just like read all of these funny, silly, weird, interesting, outlandish facts. So thank you for uh, humoring oh, me and doing sex at trivia <laughs> with me. I have a couple more questions before yeah. I let you go, but I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you hope that people who read this will gain from this book? How How is it like shifting the cultural narrative around sex and sexuality in your eyes? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think um, I don't expect my book to be for everyone. It is pretty silly. <laughs> um, but I hope that people who do read it and enjoy it um, will – maybe come away feeling a little bit better, not just about what they're into sexually, but about like the idea of sex and having a body and, you know, their gender, their sexual identity, um, and just, you know, a little more understanding that um, this idea that like everything that's different about young people today is like new and wacky is just like completely off base. Um, And, you know, I hope that – we can have some more conversations um, about how like arbitrarily our cultural norms shape um, what people think is okay in terms of like existing. Um, yeah. An, an ambitious goal for a book about goofy sex facts, but that's, that's what was in my heart when I wrote it. <laughs> that's really great. And I love what you said, like, you know, maybe it's not for everyone, but the people who do read it. Um, I do think that as someone, you know, as a sex educator who's 29 and like has identified in a certain way my whole life in the past two years, I feel a 
specific and particular mm. shift about the way in which I'm viewing myself and my identity. And I think a lot of people out there are feeling the same Absolutely, way. Yeah. Um. My, my my friend Daniela and I were talking about like <laughs> this funny campaign or like idea that she uh had like oops TikTok made me gay <laughs> of like this you know concept where we're seeing like all of these people on this app and you know social media is obviously so much more prevalent now than it is ever before and it makes you in all the best ways kind of question these boxes that like you've put yourself in yeah. and I think that's crazy that we've done totally. that yeah and I mean like my relationship with sex uh as a concept has always been pretty complicated um I grew up in this like really rural part of New Jersey um but my mom was an OBGYN but we my ah, mom too great it's a great club to cool. be cool um yeah but we also went to like an evangelical church my parents are not in it anymore but it really was like the classic like a guy in cargo shorts who worked at Lens Crafters told me if I held hands with boys, I would never be able to truly love my future husband. You know, that, you know. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> That's a Niles or whatever it was. Exactly. Um, Giles. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, so, yeah, I knew a lot about um, reproduction and also, like, had a lot of, like, really um, – a lot of like self-loathing around sex and especially around um, being queer. Um, and, you know, when I got to be a young adult, uh, I really um, – it got me into a lot of trouble because I think there are a lot of people who um, see and treat sex positivity as just like being down <laughs> for whatever and um, something I'm – I'm open about in the book, though the book is not about it, is that I was in a, a pretty abusive relationship for several years um, with someone who really um, like weaponized and hid behind the language of like sexual positivity and kink and polyamory. And, um, you know, this book isn't about my experience with him, but I do really hope that by helping people like imagine a version of sex positivity that's truly just about like only having the sex you want to have when you want to have it. Um, I hope that maybe um, it can make the world a little harder for guys like that to operate in. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing that. I'm so sorry Thank that you. you went through that. But obviously, uh, you have put so much effort and work and love and uh, heart into this book and I am super impressed by it and by you. So thank you for sharing your your wealth of knowledge <laughs> and weird duck penis facts <laughs> and all kinds of penis and other facts. Uh, where can people get the book? So the book is out May 17th, but you can pre-order it uh, anytime and it's available anywhere books are sold. So um, I'm encouraging people to shop at their favorite indie or local um, if you don't have a favorite indie or local, uh, my local is Word, um, based out of Greenpoint in Jersey City, and you can order for shipping through them. And that makes me happy because one of these days when I walk in, they'll finally realize that they've been ordering a bunch of copies of my book and that I'm also the same Rachel Feltman who spends like hundreds of dollars at their store every month. I haven't <laughs> put it together yet, but I know it's going to happen sometime. 
Anyway, Some point. Um, and you can, um, on Twitter, I'm at Rachel Feltman. Uh, that's Feltman with a T. And uh, I have the same username on TikTok. And if you can find me there, you can find me pretty much anywhere. What's better than your partner's penis? Two of your partner's penises, of course. Say hello to the amazing, the wonderful, the super fun Clona Willy. Made in Portland, Oregon, Clona Willy is exactly what you think it is. A DIY molding kit that allows anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a high-quality, 100% body-safe sex toy. Because all parts are art. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 20% off at clonawilly.com. We talk a lot about sex ed, but when we're shopping for products to support our sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, we head to the experts at Lion's Den. For 50 plus years, Lion's Den has been a leader in adult products. Whether you want to explore a new kink or add a little romance to your evening, Lion's Den has something for all. Each location is brightly lit and staffed with the very best experts in pleasure, passion, and romance, so you can feel comfortable and confident in your purchases. Lion's Den's offering our listeners 15% off your purchase in-store and online using code SEXED with DB. Did you know that American regulators consider sex toys as for novelty use only? This means that the materials are unregulated, yet we put them in the most absorbent places in our bodies. 25 years ago, Fun Factory was born with one mission, to provide body-safe German-made toys for a level of safety you can't get anyplace else. I personally love that these toys are not only safe, but also ethically made and award-winning. It's the kind of luxury our bits deserve. Use discount code SEXED with DB for 15% off Fun Factory toys. Our creator, host, EP, and sound engineer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds, and our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.